Yeah. Awesome. So this morning, uh, since we finished with the book of Ruth last week, so today we're going to start something new. Okay, we're not starting something new. It's just like a, it's a break <laughs> before all the series that we've been doing. And we all know that Thursday was Ascension Day, right? I'm sure some people were celebrating Africa Day more than Ascension Day. <laughs> okay? And as a church, we usually celebrate Africa Day. Um, but this Sunday, we're going to look at Ascension Day and really just look at the importance of Ascension and what it means for us in, as Christians when Jesus went up. So I want us to open our Bibles in the book of Acts. And we're going to start, we're going to read quite a chunk. So just keep it at Acts 1. And we're going to read there from Acts 1 all the way from verse 1 until verse 9. Is everyone there? I like the sound of those pages. Awesome. So I'm going to start reading. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him. From their sight. Amen. This passage is really rich. Okay. It is one of the passages that go into length about just what happened between um, when Jesus uh, died on the cross and when he was about to be taken up. And, you know, whenever a, a person's last words are always very important. You know, if somebody is about to leave, if, if maybe uh, someone is about to die and they know they're going to die, they normally call their children together or friends and family, and they sit them down and they say, listen, um, I have this to say. Those last words are so important. And often we see, we saw with Jesus just before he, he was crucified, he called his disciples together and he was encouraging them because he knew something big was about to happen. And it was the same with just before he ascended to, um, to heaven. Again, he called his disciples together, he sat down, and he spoke to them about the things that really matter, that are so important. And this passage is full of this. In this passage, when we read just from verse 1 all the way to, to verse 9, there are at least four things that we see are so important um, that are stressed in this passage. The first one is the certainty of the resurrection. 
Okay? The second one is the promise of the Holy Spirit and the focus of the disciples. The third one is the actual ascension of Christ. And the last one is the promise of Christ's return. Amen. Awesome. So I want us to look at the certainty of the resurrection. In Acts 1, in, in verse 3, it talks about um, how after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now we must remember that Jesus is outstanding amongst all the prophets that have ever existed that walked this earth. Okay? Because he was the only one who claimed to be God. He was the only one that died and was actually resurrected. And it was so important for him to make sure that before he goes back to the Father, the disciples actually have proof of the fact that he was resurrected. Because if he only appeared once, then it would have been like, oh, okay, but we can't really trust what you're saying. Yeah? That, that he was resurrected. So here the Bible says he spent at least 40 days showing convincing proofs that he is alive. So Jesus didn't just die and was resurrected quickly and immediately he disappeared. Or he appeared once to the disciples, then he was gone. He spent at least 40 days. That's a whole month walking around on this earth in the flesh. Not in a spirit. Not appearing and disappearing, but in the flesh, spending time with the disciples. Okay? So when he rose again, he was in the flesh and he, he even showed his hands to the disciples. One of them, I think, yeah, Thomas, who was doubting, even put his finger there to feel that truly this is Jesus. The nails were there. Because people were going on about how probably he didn't die. Maybe he just fainted and pretended to die. The disciples hid his body. All sorts of theories are coming out and they're all over about Jesus' death and resurrection. They say he wasn't really resurrected. But this is very important for us as Christians to have that convince um, the, the, the proofs that Jesus really died. It's so important because not only did he claim it, but it means a lot for us. Yeah? Because otherwise there's no eternal life. Death is the end of life. Yeah? This preaching of heaven and hell and the, the age to come makes no sense if there's no resurrection. Okay. So it was important that Jesus just proves the claims that he made. And some of those claims, I, I mean, let's read in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 4. Um, it even gives more proof. It, it makes it a lot more meatier. Here, um, Paul was speaking and he's saying, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Caiaphas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 Brethren, at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. I'm sure they've all fallen asleep by now. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 
Okay? So about 500 people walking this earth during his time got to see him resurrected. Okay? And that is important for us because without the resurrection, there can be no ascension. Because it was the same power that raised Christ from the dead, brought him out, that violated the laws of gravity that allowed him to go up into it. I mean, just imagine Christ going up into heaven. How does that happen? Okay? But it's so important that it was very important for him to prove to the disciples that he is the resurrection, that he has conquered death. That we don't have to fear death. That death is not the end of life. Because eternity is waiting. And eternity is a lot longer than the 70 years, 60 years, 40 years that we're living here on this earth. He had to make that proof to people. Okay? Just to settle that in our hearts. Okay? So when, 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 when somebody dies and we say, oh, yeah, no, they're going to heaven... It's not just a cliche. It's not just words that we're saying to comfort people. But it is a reality. There is life after death. And Jesus proved it. Okay? So in John 2 verse 19, we remember how he was talking about um, he will destroy the temple and he will uh, raise it again in three days. So those were the claims he made. And those were the claims that uh, people really saw, okay, really, Jesus walked the earth. He died and he rose again. He is God himself in the flesh, right? And then the second thing we see here is the promise that he gave to the disciples, where he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, first, he says, First, he shows himself, he proves to these people that I am alive, and then he shows them that, I mean, now they can't argue that this is God. And then the second thing is, he wants them to know that the same power that he was able to do these things with is the same power he wants to release to the disciples and to all the children of God. Isn't that powerful? Yeah? Isn't it? Verse 5 says this. In verse 5, the promise of the Holy Spirit and the focus of the apostles. In verse 5, Jesus says, I mean, in, in verse 5, it, it speaks about, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's your answer, Selma. You were asking if John baptized only in water or also the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist was baptizing people in water. And Jesus said, you guys have been baptized in water. But you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit in a few days. And this was so important to Jesus that he stressed it to the disciples. He said, don't go anywhere until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And while they were talking, I mean, he told them about the Holy Spirit. And, and then they started asking. So, when, uh, so they were like, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay. While Jesus is telling them about the Holy Spirit, they're asking, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because remember, they still had this thing of a physical kingdom that must come. They still wanted the Romans to be overthrown and a, a, a king from Jerusalem or a, a Jewish king to rule. They still were looking for that. And so they were asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus was like, that's not important. It's not important for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not. But you will receive power to be my witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power to be a witness. And then it goes on to, uh, in verse 7. It says, when, um, And you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. So he's redirecting the disciples' focus here. They're seeing Jesus is resurrected. He is a powerful king. So obviously he's going to do something for us here on earth now. Now we're going to have revenge on those Roman soldiers and we're going to kick them out and we're going to take over. So they are still focused on the kingdom here on earth in Jerusalem. And he said, that is not to be the focus. Okay? The focus here is that you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will give you power to be my witness. Isn't that beautiful? Because sometimes there's so many people focusing their energies on dates and times about when is Jesus coming back and it's this prophetic book and it's that prophetic book and it's re this revelation about the end times. We're closer to the calendar. We're a bit further. We're... Jesus said, that is not the focus. In fact, the Bible says nobody knows the time or the hour. Not even Jesus himself. Only the Father. So why is there so much focus on this? So much spending money on resources to tell us about the end times. Okay? Now he did mention that it's important that we understand the times and we know when the time is near. But what difference will it make in your life if you know Jesus is coming tomorrow? Uh-huh. So why don't you just live that way anyway? Huh? You know, often people say, if someone had to tell you, you only have three, three months to live. You've got a deadly disease, only three months left. What will you do? Do all the things that you've always dreamed of doing. And, you know, I mean, some people might go crazy. Huh? And some people will be like, ooh, I need to make right with the Lord quickly. Yeah, I need to make sure that every, my relationship with God is well. I need to make sure that things are, are really set in order because I don't want to end up on the other side when I get to heaven, isn't it? So why prepare when it's closer to the time that you think he's coming? Why not just live our lives like that anyway? 
like the ten virgins that were ready with oil in their lamps waiting for the bridegroom to come whenever. Okay? So we need to live our lives in such a way that we're constantly ready for Jesus to come back. Not trying to calculate when he's coming back so that we can be ready for when he comes. Just be ready anyway. If he comes tomorrow, yay, praise God. If he comes 10 years from now, praise God. If he comes 50 centuries from now, we still praise God. But ours is to focus on what he has called us to do in this time. And that's why I was telling the disciples, the focus is not the end times. The focus is not restoring this earthly kingdom. The focus is you receiving this power to be my witnesses, to go out and make disciples. That is our focus. And that should remain an urgency in our spirits as we're living life. You know, witnessing about Jesus never goes out of fashion. It doesn't. No, it doesn't matter if we're living uh, in a place where we feel like maybe everybody has heard about Jesus. Maybe there's always more places to go. There are always more people that need to receive. There must always be an urgency in our hearts about witnessing. Because sometimes we think, ah, this person, they will maybe come right years from now. Yeah? So, yeah, they're surrounded by Christian friends. Maybe it's not my job. It's somebody else's job. Yeah? Or they're born in a Christian family. I'm sure their parents have spoken to them. No? <laughs> but we need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit because that is what he primarily does in our lives is that he's, he's witnessing about Jesus to us and he wants us to witness about Jesus to others. Okay? Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to show us God. He came to show us the ways of God. He came to show us God's heart. The love that he has for us. Yeah? And then the Holy Spirit came to witness about Jesus. Let's turn to John. John 16 verse 5. Here we read, it says, um, let's read from verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Okay? And then he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he is, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by asking from what is mine and make it known to you. Amen. So here Jesus is speaking about how it's important for him to go because if he goes, the Holy Spirit will come. We must understand that when Jesus was walking the earth, it's like 
all the power of God was contained in him and around him. It was, it was just there. But when he went, the, the Holy Spirit that was released was released over the, the disciples, and they could do greater works because now there was expansion. Okay? People were going all over, preaching the gospel, still moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, being able to be witnesses outside of this one limited place where Jesus was. So he tells his disciples that it is important that he goes. And remember, up to then, the only Bible the disciples had was the life of Jesus. Concerning the things that he did and concerning how God actually works in God's heart. It was Jesus. They, they were looking at him. And that's why he said, he will guide you into all truth. Okay? I'm going to my Father, but the Holy Spirit will bring into remembrance the things that I've taught you. Though you may not have a book of, I mean, we are privileged to have a book that actually has the recordings of Jesus. I mean, here we are reading in Acts 1, and it, it's, it, it's, it's a letter that is written to Theophilus, who wanted to know and understand the life of Jesus. Now, we don't know who this Theophilus is. Some are saying it's a, it's a wealthy man. Some are saying it's a lawyer. Some are saying maybe it was a priest, a high priest. We don't know. Okay, the scholars are still trying to figure that out, but they know it's somebody that's of noble character of, or status because of the way he was being addressed. Yeah? So, so um, Luke is writing to this guy. In fact, they say the book of Acts should have been part two of Luke. The gospel of Luke should be followed by the Acts of the Apostle because it was written by the same person. Yeah? So he gives... Of an account, and, and you'll see when he will, he will say in my previous letter, which is the book of Luke, and then he goes to explain this. So he's explaining the life of Jesus to this person who didn't have a close relationship with Jesus, who only heard about Jesus. Okay? But now it says the Holy Spirit will be doing that in our lives. He was doing that in the lives of the disciples to remind them of what Jesus taught them. Because they didn't have a written by uh, the, the New Testament as we have. So it was important for them to receive that. And it was important that they, they know that this Holy Spirit will empower them to be witnesses. You know, I often say that, and you can see the difference between somebody that's been baptized in the Holy Spirit and somebody who hasn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know what the difference is? It's boldness. I mean, I was so amazed. Looking at someone sharing here this morning. Sorry, I'm going to use you as an example through my whole service. Now. Huh? When she first came to campus, yeah, she had given her life to the Lord. Very timid girl. Very shy. When she speaks, it's like she's whispering. You're like, what did you say? <laughs> you know? And those who know her can attest to that. But being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being convinced of the God that she serves, she has really grown to be one of the most boldest people that I know. Huh? I mean, she was asked to lead a missions team in Germany of people that she doesn't even know. Huh? And her, her heart attitude and how she did it was so good that they're inviting her back for October. And they were like, man, there's something about this woman. Yeah? 
there's a, a deep conviction about the God she serves and about just going out and preaching the gospel. Yeah? I'm sure it must have been intimidating preaching to some of those people. The atheists that are just like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Big German people, you know, <laughs> standing over your head saying, yes, speak. <laughs> you know? So, but the fact that you have the Holy Spirit, it convicts you to be able to speak. You cannot. It, it is the Holy Spirit in us that encourages us and gives us that boldness to be able to proclaim Christ. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult living out the life God has called us to live, and it's going to be difficult being a witness. Okay? So if you don't have the Holy Spirit this morning, well, I want to pray. We're going to pray for those who need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it is so important. You know, it's, it's like the first milk for baby to receive. Okay? So he was emphasizing that and emphasizing why, why it's important that the Holy Spirit comes and it will convict the world of guilt, righteousness, and judgment as well. You know, just the work of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, um, yeah, Jesus proves himself. He speaks about the importance of receiving the Holy Spirit. He speaks about the focus of the time, what the disciples should be focusing on. And at the end of it, we see that he's taken up into heaven. Okay? And here's just a summary that I've put together on the next slide there. It says, Jesus, uh, the life of Jesus. We all know Jesus was born a, of a virgin. We celebrate eh, Christmas Day, isn't it? We're celebrating the birth of Christ as a baby. Yeah? And then we saw how Jesus was crucified on the cross. And together with the resurrection, we normally celebrate that on um, Passover, where some people call Easter, which is actually a pagan holiday, which they just put the Christian stuff there. That's why a lot of Christians nowadays, they don't say Easter, because Easter really has nothing to do with the birth and, and the death of Jesus. So we call it Passover, and we celebrate. Then we have Jesus ascending to heaven, and that is Ascension Day which we were supposed to celebrate on Thursday. So how many people here actually celebrate Ascension Day? It's, it's actually just taking time. I don't mean like making a big party. Just taking time out. Just like during the festive season, you're, you're reflecting on the birth of Christ. And during the Passover, you're thinking about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was resurrected. And, you know, now on Ascension Day, you're thinking, wow, this is the day that my Lord actually went to heaven. But there's actually more than him just going to heaven, isn't it? So who celebrates? You celebrate it every other day. So let's, ha let's have a look at what, what this day really is about and what really happened there, okay? Ascension Day is normally celebrated about 40 days, um, counting from, um, what is it, Passover Sunday, yeah? So it's the 40th Sunday, I mean 40th uh, day thereafter, and it's usually the, um, what is it, the sixth Thursday 
after the resurrection. It's, it's usually the sixth Thursday in that month. So that's why this month, uh, it fell with Africa Day. It's not that every time that it's Africa Day, then it's also Ascension Day. No. It's just the way it's counted. Yeah? So we can see here that we're focusing on this passage here. Jesus was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives in the vicinity of Bethany. So he's walking with them, he's talking to them, and he's giving them instructions about the things that really matter just before he leaves. And then he's, and, and they're the witnesses. We see it's the disciples and some of the women that were with him. You can read it again in this passage. All right? So this is what happened there. He was giving instructions. He was speaking to them. He was explaining what is about to happen. He was comforting them because they wanted, remember, the kingdom to come back, you know, just like they were said that he was going to the cross while they were waiting for the kingdom, they were sad that he was about to leave as well. So he kept saying things like, I'm going back to my father, I'm going back to my father. And the disciples didn't understand, what is this going back to the father thing? You know, we thought you were here to stay with us so that we can put together a kingdom here, you know. And so here, now we have this place where he finishes saying what he needed to say to the disciples. And then the Bible says, and then he was taken up by a cloud and went all the way up into heaven. They literally saw him before their eyes just going higher and higher and higher until he eventually disappeared. Isn't that hectic? There are only really two accounts that I remember of that happening in the Bible. The first one is where it says, and Enoch walked closely with the Lord and he was no longer. But we don't even know if he really descended into, I mean, ascended into heaven. So we just know he walked closely with the Lord and then he disappeared. So maybe he was just walking and then, (laughs) it's over. We don't know what happened. And the second time we see it, is Elijah, where the, the heavens open and there's some chariot of fire and he gets on there. I mean, this is like hectic movie stuff, you know. If you had to see it, where you see a chariot of fire coming from heaven and this guy is sitting on there and the heavens are opening and he's just going further and further. The closest we see to that is helicopters and planes that are... <laughs> Flying up, but we don't see people in chariots, you know. But that is the only other time we see that. But even with that, it's like people that have been living on earth, you know. And they were always alive, and then they just went. But Jesus actually died, and then he came alive, and then he was taken up to heaven. And if we still can't believe that that is God, then I don't know what kind of people we are. Because that is something really supernatural that happened. Okay? So he went up to the heavens, but there's a deeper thing there than just going up. Um, In Ephesians 4, verse 8 to 9, it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also ascended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended 
higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay? Now, in the Bible, we know that Jesus died and he rose on the third day. But between the time he died and when he was resurrected, in the spirit, there were things happening. Okay? There were things happening. He went somewhere. <laughs> okay? In Jude 6 uh, to 7 and 2 Peter 2 verse 4 to 5, we'll read about how Jesus, the Bible actually said he went down to the bottomless pit. This is during the time while he's supposed to be in the tomb. Jesus went down to the bottomless pit where there were spirits or angelic beings that were disobedient, that were actually bound up down there or bound in, in the bottomless pit. So he went down there to the lowest place where they're living, uh, uh, or uh, yeah, living beings. And then when he was resurrected and he came and he went um, and he ascended to heaven, he went to the highest place. So he went to the lowest place and went to the highest place so that he would be God over the whole universe. So everywhere where there were actually living beings, Jesus went. To proclaim, to proclaim that I am here. The king of kings is here. Yeah? The kings of kings is here. The Lord of lords is here. From the bottomless pit where there were demonic spirits bound up there, all the way to the heavens, Jesus took over. Okay? And and, I mean, we already spoke about gifts, but when he ascended, remember when people say, I will ascend, even though we look at Ascension Day and we see Jesus is going up in the heavens, remember what are the terms that we use when a king is taking up his throne? He's ascending to the throne, isn't it? So that is exactly what Jesus did. He ascended to his throne in heaven. Now he was going to take up his rightful position in heaven. Okay? So the significance is this. Jesus finished the work that he was supposed to do here on earth. The public ministry that God gave him, his assignment as a son of God here on earth, was to come and destroy the work of the enemy. And once he destroyed the work of the enemy, then he was ready to go back. So we need to have that in our minds, that when Jesus came here on earth, he didn't just come to show us who God is and how to live a godly life, but he came to give us victory over the works of the enemy. That's why in Matthew it says, all authority has been given to me. Go ye into the world and make disciples. He had finished his work. It is finished. The devil has been defeated. Captives have been set free. Gifts have been released. And now it's time for us to take up our place. Then Jesus went, uh, uh, the importance is also that Jesus went to prepare a place for us. 
Remember in John, he was speaking to the disciples when they really didn't want him to go, and he was talking about how there are many rooms in my father's place. I'm going to prepare a place for you, okay? Just to calm them down. I'm always with you, okay? What's wrong with you people? Don't you understand what it is that I came to do? Yeah? He finished his work, killed the work of the enemy, and then he went to prepare a place for us. Jesus is making intercession for us in heaven. Do you know that? As we are here doing the work that Christ has called us to do, he is in heaven making intercession for us. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've got prayer partners that are asked to pray for me. But if you've got Jesus as a prayer partner, my God, there's no way there's no way you can be bound here on earth. He's constantly making intercession for us, the saints, before the Father. Amen? And then it says, Jesus is seated at the right-hand side of the Father and has given us the power to be witnesses here on earth, occupying until he returns. Let's quickly go back to verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Two men, okay? So they were there looking at Jesus going, saying, oh my goodness, he's really going. Oh, dwelling on the fact that Jesus has gone back to heaven. And then two men stood beside them, which are actually angels, and they say, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay? So, Jesus went to heaven and he's seated at the right-hand side of the Father. Which means he took his throne at the right-hand side of the Father. And if you read in Colossians 1, it speaks about what this actually means. That now he is the beginning and the end of all things. He is supreme over everything. He is king of kings over people, rulers, powers, principalities. Nothing is above him. He is the highest authority. Seated there at the right-hand side of God. But at the same time, he has given us that authority. You know when he released the Holy Spirit for us to work on? I mean to work with? Not only that, but as he is seated in the heavenly places, so are we also. We are co-heirs of him and we are also seated in heavenly places. That song that we were singing, it's not just a nice song. Yeah? It's speaking about how when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, my friends, that place is not just for the end of time. You know? There are two types of people, uh, when they're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Some people are thinking, your kingdom come now. Let's occupy until you return. Others are thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, 
When will your kingdom come? Their kingdom come. They're waiting for a kingdom that is so far away that cannot be touched. But the Bible says the kingdom is here. It is already here and it is advancing. And we can only see it and recognize it and live in it when we realize where we are seated. With Christ, when he said he's going to prepare a place, that place is there for us already. We are up there with him. Okay? So now we are here to occupy until he returns. Not to keep looking in the sky, wondering when is he coming back, but saying, what is the assignment now? What is the focus of the season? What is the focus of the time? Okay. Ours is to do the work of God. Because he has given us the power and the authority. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's really awesome to know that you are seated with Christ in that position. Okay. Which means we are powerful here on earth. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us alone in this world. And with that Holy Spirit, we have the confidence to take what God has made available for us. And then the last thing is that Jesus will return. The angel said, Jesus will return. This same God will return just as he's ascending. And they said, in a similar manner. So the second time when Jesus comes back, he will come back almost the way he went. But this is going to be so different in that when he went, very few people saw. But when he comes back, everyone will see. Because there will be an announcement by a sound of a trumpet that will be blown that even if you're dead during that time, you will come alive. And you will see Christ coming from the heavens. So saints, I just want to say this. The resurrection and the ascension, they're so closely linked for us as Christians. They're such powerful times. They really are. I mean, when I look at the similarities, I look at how Jesus was comforting his disciples. I look at when they came to the tomb and he wasn't there and an angel said, no, he's not here, he's risen. And then with the ascension, again, he's comforting his disciples. He's saying, but I'm going to be in a much glorious state when I go to my father. And then as they're looking and they're thinking, oh, he's gone, the angels come and they reassure the people or the disciples and say, he is coming back again. Okay? But one of the things that we really need to take away from the ascension is that Jesus did not just go up into the heavens to disappear. He went up into the heavens to take his rightful position on his throne as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He ascended to his throne. Okay? And every power, every principality, every single thing that has ever been created on earth that moves and lives knows that there is a king that is much more powerful. There's something beyond me. That every single person will just have to bow down before and worship and say, yes, Lord, you are the great I am. Amen. So as we've looked at this passage, we've looked at the importance of ascension. But we've also looked at just the passage of seeing what Jesus actually did before he ascended. 
we look at how he convinced the disciples that he was resurrected, truly, by staying with them for 40 days. We looked at how he spoke to them about the importance of the Holy Spirit that they're about to receive. And he focusing them, telling them, this is what you should focus on. This is what's important. And then we look at how he went and what it means for us. And the fact that he's coming back again one day. Amen. So I want to pray for us. I really want to pray for us. I just want us to stand as we're closing the service. Father God, we just want to thank you so much this morning. Lord, we just want to glorify your name right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We want to thank you, Father God, that it's all about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about what you've done for us. It's about what you want us to do for you here on earth, oh Father God. We want to thank you, Father for what you've done through your, your son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you that he's no longer on the cross, but he has conquered the cross. We want to thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've poured out for us. And we want to thank you, Lord, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Lord, we want to thank you, Father, that we are called to live victorious lives. And this morning, Lord, I just want to pray for anyone who feels defeated. If you feel defeated this morning, I just want you to take this time of prayer for yourself. I want to pray for you. And I want you to receive this prayer. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I just speak victory into the soul of those that feel defeated this morning. Lord, I pray for courage to come forth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will rise up, O Father God, and take their rightful place. In this situation, oh, Father God, as victors and not victims, oh, Father God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that they will look to you and see how you have conquered and how you've given them the victory in this situation, oh, Father God. And therefore, we just break off discouragement right now in the name of Jesus. We speak to that discouragement. We say, be gone in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for a garment of praise instead of that of weariness and heaviness. We just declare that all heaviness is being removed right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for victory, Father God. Thank you for victorious spirits and victorious minds. Thank you for men and women that are hungry for that which you've set aside for them, Father God. That don't look back, that don't shrink back, but keep pushing forward to the fullness of what you've called them for. Father, we just want to thank you for that, Lord. We want to thank you for that right now in Jesus' name. And I want to thank you, Father, that even as this was just a teaching for 45 minutes, I really pray, Father, for deeper revelation as we leave this place of what it means for you to have ascended your throne. Father, we pray, Father God, that people will have visions, they'll have dreams. You will come, they'll have heavenly encounters that are showing them of this Christ that they serve, that is alive, 
and has given them power. In Jesus' name, we thank you for that. And I just want to pray for those who are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're here today, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't speak in tongues, but you will want to receive that today. I would like to invite you to come to the front so that we can pray for you. Is there anyone like this this morning? You haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to be a witness. You feel like often you shrink back. Amen. Just come to the front. Is there anyone else? We're going to pray for you just now. Yeah, you can just face this way. Anybody else? This is something powerful and it's beautiful. It's going to change your life. If you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit, this is something that you don't want to live without. It's really something that you don't want to live without. Thank you, Jesus. I just need to stress this. To receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to have given your life to the Lord. And even if you're standing here and you're like, but I haven't given my life to the Lord, it's fine. We're also going to do that. We just want to make sure because it's for the sons and the daughters of God that receive that seal of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to pray for them after the service. I just want to release everyone. And if you have an, any other prayer um, request that is not this, you can also come after the service. We'll also pray for you. But otherwise, I just want to bless the rest of the congregation. Father, I just thank you for every single person here this morning, Father God. I thank you for your favor. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for strength to take on this week, oh, Father God, and to glorify your name, Father God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus that you go with us wherever we are, Lord. Surround us with your favor. Surround us with your presence. And surround us with your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome.